This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, we found out yesterday that Portland, not next in line to get a WNBA team. But the news cycle never stops. I want to ask you, as a sports fan living in the region, what major league professional sports team would you most want to have in the Portland metropolitan area or in Eugene or in Corvallis or wherever you're listening? What do you want access to? And if I could give you only one, meaning you'd have to give up the Trailblazers, to go get an NHL team or to get a Major League Baseball team. Would you make that trade? There was a lot of disappointment yesterday in the sports market as a lot of fans and sports fans and families were, I think, lamenting the loss of the WNBA team that everybody thought Portland was going to get. Seems to be some kind of hang-up with the practice facility, construction at the Moda Center. Kathy Engelbert, the... uh, Commissioner of the WNBA, not closing the door necessarily on WNBA to Portland. But I couldn't help but think about the lack of synergy between the NBA team and the WNBA team that was apparent and obvious. If you're a Blazer fan, you know what I'm talking about. You're probably frustrated already about the fact that you don't really have a true owner. But there's a variety of ways in which not having an owner just kills you. It kills you as a market, kills you as a city. Kills you as a sports fan. If you have an NBA owner who's engaged, who wants a WNBA team in the same building, see the Golden State Warriors, you have a puncher's chance if uh, you know to get a WNBA franchise. They would offer you some synergy with the operation. But I want to know from you, like you know, you had World Series concluding. Congrats to the Texas Rangers. They got one. Leaves uh, you know just a handful of franchises, including the Mariners, is. The only Major League Baseball clubs to not have a world championship now. And the Mariners fans are probably frustrated with that, but I don't think they'd trade that franchise. They they love that franchise in Seattle. People love baseball in Seattle. But if I gave you an opportunity to bring a Major League Baseball team, a WNBA team, an NHL team to Portland or to the region where you're listening, what just popped into your head? What's the no-brainer for you? 503-417-7575 is the phone number. I want to talk about that. Also, the Big Ten Conference releasing its football schedule. What's with all the football release uh, parties that are going on? The ACC going, hey, yeah, we're going to put our whole schedule out. The Big 12 going, hey, that's a good idea. Let's get our schedule through 2029 out. And now the Big Ten Conference, which had previously released the schedule, created another news story today as they released the actual dates of the games, so you can see that Washington and Oregon are scheduled to play uh, on November 30th, uh, that weekend in 2024. You can see some open dates that have 
developed on the calendar, and I kind of wonder what Oregon will do as it jockeys around non-conference games. Will Oregon and Oregon State end up playing a Civil War game in 2024 or 2025, or has that ship sailed? Is Does Washington want to play an Apple Cup against Washington State? Do they want that game to be a neutral site game? Do they want to go to Pullman? Do they want to split the gate and play the game in Seattle? Do they want to uh, have it as a home game? Like I really am thinking about some of these Big Ten moves uh, with Oregon and Washington in particular in the rivalry games and kind of wondering, like, if I'm Oregon, like, like for me as the radio show host, impartial party, sports columnist, father, husband, who is observing this from 20,000 feet, I want to see these teams play. I want to see the Civil War rivalry continue. I want to see Oregon State go to Autzen Stadium beyond this season's game. I want to believe this isn't the last one. I want to see the Ducks go to Corvallis and play at Reeser Stadium. I want to see Washington play the Apple Cup Series. Much in the same way that Colorado and Colorado State continue to play each other, I would like to see these teams play. Now, it may take legislative intervention in the state of Colorado they've done that uh, you, you know Colorado University has a has a uh, mandate it, it it's supposed to it's directed to play Colorado State in a home and home series uh, non-conference series every year would state legislators in the state of Oregon and Washington get on that and require the ducks to play the beavers would you support that as a sports fan in the market because I think if you're the ducks and you're the huskies as I look at this Big Ten schedule, it's brutal, right? You got games against Wisconsin and Ohio State and Michigan and each other and USC and UCLA. And I'm going, gosh, in a non-conference game, do I really want to pick up a road game at Oregon State if I'm Oregon? Like, as much as I want to see that game and as much as you want to see that game, does Rob Mullins and the Oregon Ducks really, are they really going to go, hey, that's a really good, uh, that's a really good leap for us to take to go play a team that has played us pretty well and beat us last year in a non-conference game at their place. And if you are a Husky fan, I don't blame you if you want to see the series continue or you're a Cougar fan, you want to see the Apple Cup continue. But I have to think, like, Washington's going, you know, do I really want to go to Pullman and play a non-conference game against an opponent that, you know, if I lose the game, it's a bad loss. And if I win the game, the playoff selection committee is going to go, hey, you should win that game. 503-417-7575, two topics. You have an opportunity to bring a professional sports franchise to your home area. What do you want to bring? And secondarily, should the Apple Cup and the Civil War Series continue? What are the tentacles I'm not thinking about? Because from a standpoint of Oregon State, there might be some bad feelings, some lingering feelings. From Washington State's standpoint, some lingering feelings. But what do you think should happen as it pertains to those rivalry games? 503-417-7575. Let's go to Chad, who's in Portland, going to lead us off. Chad, what do you got? Hey, what's up, John? Love your show. I listen every chance I get, man. I'm going to kind of be the weird guy, I guess, here and say no franchise. I'm good. You know, I think, I, I think we need to build more around what those franchises would be before we kind of even talk about what they are. I'm, I'm excited about things like the remix you know, starting this year to build our uh, current NBA franchise even better. So I'll say none on that and definitely keep those uh, 
you know, uh, name the games going. I know there's hurt feelings, but man, those are like sentimental to me. And I'm not even originally from here. So I'll take it off mine. Thanks, John. Yeah, appreciate the call, Chad in Portland. That opens a line at 503 417 7575. I think there's going to be a little bit of a reluctance to play a home and home series, particularly on behalf of the Washington Huskies. I think it's why you've heard some murmurs about the Huskies maybe wanting to play a neutral site game. I reached out to Kirk Schultz, the president at Washington State, and floated that to him, and he said we haven't heard anything like that. But it seems to be what people are bantering about in Seattle, that you know Washington would play the game, but they want to play it at, uh, at Lumen Field, and they want to split the gate. And, you know, from Oregon's standpoint, Rob Mullins told me earlier this week that he uh, wants to play that series, but, uh, hey, we're booked out in our non-conference games. We all know that if you want to buy your way out of a non-conference game, you can do it. We all know that, you know, Oregon, Oregon State could easily today say, hey, we're going to play this game, and let's start getting it on the books, and here's the year we'll do it, and then we'll try to work backwards to move, you know, games into uh, uh, get, it, get it going sooner. But, uh, you know, I have November 24th circled on my calendar. I don't know about you. It could be the last Civil War football game for some time. Stephen, where do you stand on these two topics that I've raised on today's show? Uh, for the for the professional sports team in Portland, it, it's baseball for me. I just think it would be great. Uh, and I see this, we- you know, the weather today is not awesome here in Portland, but, I, you know, throughout the summer you look outside and you look at the weather and it's like, man, it would be perfect. And when the postseason started, there was a game in Minnesota. And the weather there was perfect. And I said, this is this is what it would be like in Portland right now. Like, this is how a playoff game in Portland would look. Fans would be out there. It would be nice. It would be, you know, a little chilly, but not raining. I think baseball would fit perfectly here in Portland. So, uh, for me, that's what I'm looking at. And then, uh, you know, a game I'm looking forward to, you know, it's tough because, you know, I, I look forward to the, to the Big Ten schedule and – I just I don't know what to feel about it. I, I, I know. I, yeah, it's just so weird to think like you know what Oregon is going to be hosting Ohio State as a league game, or like one year from today. I think I saw a tweet today. Oregon's going to be at Michigan, like a year from today, I believe, or something like that. It's like that is just a weird thing. I I still haven't fully wrapped my head around that, John. Like it just it blows my mind that that's how it's going to be, and that's that's what we're looking at going forward. Yeah, I think TV wins because TV is going to get some great matchups, but I. I am like you. I had mixed feelings when I saw the schedule come out because we've had a variety of steps along the way that have sort of signaled, hey, this is the last, you know, this is the last uh, opener of the last season. This is the, you know, the last time Oregon and Oregon State will play, uh, you know, against Arizona or against Utah. You know, we've seen that in the last couple of weeks. Last weekend, in fact, Beavers played Arizona for the last time, what, what should be in the foreseeable future. And, and Oregon plays Utah and probably won't see Utah again unless Utah and Oregon meet in a playoff game. And so there's a lot of those things happening. But actually seeing the schedule laid out for next year and not seeing Oregon playing USC and not seeing Oregon playing Oregon State, not seeing uh, you know the, the Colorado game on the schedule or the Arizona State game on the schedule, like clearly looking at it and going, this is a very different world that we're all embarking into and we're all going to have. And, you know, I don't know. What do you feel about the rivalry games in particular? Like, you know, should Oregon and Oregon State really make an effort to play? Should Washington and Washington State make an effort to play, even if those games are not in the best interest of the Ducks and the Huskies? 
Yes, I think that they should. I think it's just great PR uh, for the Ducks and the Huskies to do that. But I understand if they're not going to because there's no point. Like, there's no winning in that situation. Like, you play Oregon State, it's a game you should win if you're Oregon, right? Or I think if Oregon State plays Oregon and you win that game, you get a lot of credit. If you lose that game, well, it's Oregon. They're in the Big Ten. You're not. You're not going to get a. You know, not going to get dinged for losing at Oregon at Autzen Stadium. I would love for it. You know, in a perfect world, John, I would love for everyone to get along, and I would love for everyone to try to get these games on the schedule every single season. But I know in the back of my mind that's just not going to happen. There's going to be problems because Oregon's not going to want to go to Corvallis. That's a tough game. You look at how Oregon State plays. You saw what happened last season. Oregon dominating the game. Then Oregon State just runs the ball down their throat. They don't want to face that. Why would you want to face that when instead you could, you know, go and play, I don't know, whether it's a Cal or a Portland State or a Boise State or something else on the, you know, in the West Coast. Like, to me, it just, I would love it because it's such a good rivalry. And I think it would be, it would be great to continue that rivalry in Northwest for Oregon and Oregon State, Washington, Washington State. But there's not a lot of benefit if you're Oregon or Washington to play those games, like, I don't I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think they're going to come to some agreement because they don't want to go to Corvallis. They don't want to go to Pullman. It doesn't make any sense for Oregon and Washington to do that, but I would love yeah. for it to happen. I think, you know, in the state of Colorado, I was looking around, and there are examples of state schools that don't play in the Power Four, so to speak, having games against Power Four uh, in-state rivals. Colorado, Colorado State, the greatest example, group of five uh, school against a, a Power Five school. The state legislature in the state of uh, Colorado mandates that they play that game. And it's a, a financial benefit, not just to both schools, but it's a benefit for the community. And I'm now looking at Salem in the state capitol and going, hey, how about, uh, you, you know, how about you mandate that Oregon and Oregon State have to play? They have to schedule each other. Start getting those on the books now. I know they're, they're going to say, hey, we have, we have uh, conflicts that exist in the next four or five years. Okay, that's fine. Well, let's find the first open season, and then let's start working backwards, try to make that happen. Let's go to Mike in Wilsonville. Mike, what's up, man? Hey, John, first of all, man, I want to correct you when you said that no owner, no uh, great team. You know, you're giving the fans a pass when you say that. The fans have a say, too. If you don't like the trajectory of, of the Blazers, quit buying tickets. Quit going. And then pretty soon, they're going to make a change because it's all about the money. And also, um, I'm glad to see the Ducks go to the Big Ten because now Dan Lannon won't be able to build his reputation off road kills. He'll have to play some quality teams. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. I don't think he's going to last two years yeah. in the Big Ten. Because well, like be- I think you're right. Like, there's no, there's no Colorado in the Big Ten, right? Like, you don't get a free one. John, first of all, John, let's talk. You want to bring Colorado. Let's talk about Colorado. First of all, first of all, Colorado has already won. They're ahead of where they were Agreed. last year. I agree. And I agree. John, John, you know the reason why the Ducks are strong today? Because they had such a weak schedule until all the teams they play now have injuries. The Ducks don't have no injuries. That's why they're winning games. And the only reason they don't have injuries because they ain't played nobody. So you got to keep this thing real, man. All right, so get, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Who's going to play in Vegas for the Pac-12 championship? Because there's like seven teams that are mathematically in this. Who do you like? Well, first of all, man, um, I like Washington. I don't like – man, I'm not a Duck fan, man, because they get it easy, John. You come on the air 
And talk about the Ducks. That's like putting lipstick on a pig, man. They ain't played nobody. You understand? But you said Colorado was going all the way. They played Colorado, and then I didn't hear from you for two weeks. Well, John, that's because I won so much money on that TCU game. I left the state, man. I was on vacation. All right, so, all right. There he goes. He went on vacation. Mark in Portland, right on his heels. Go ahead, Mark. Well, it's just it's funny. That guy can Mike can never admit when he's wrong. I mean, he he is wrong about Colorado. Right now, you could say that uh Deion Sanders is really actually in a, a lot of people's minds is is failing, but we were we're afraid to talk about it. I don't know why, but he has been going the other direction. And he, and it, to me, he makes excuses for why he loses. It's never his fault. And you know, they they can very well could end up in last place in the Pac-12, and Mike told us that USC and Colorado were going to play for the Pac-12 championship. That's what he said, and he can't admit that he's wrong about anything. That we're seeing now that the teams they beat were not that good. Uh, TCU is what? Four and four, or three and five, I don't even know what their record is. Yeah, They're not Colorado, a Yeah, Colorado State's three and five as and well. So and-, the, the, and Oregon, they beat uh, Texas Tech on the road, John, in the, the Texas Tech had a 23-game home winning streak openers, home openers. They've won 23 straight games until Oregon beat them. So that wasn't an easy place to play. It's, it's a hornet's nest at home, especially early in the year. And to bring up the injuries, he, Mike's just making excuses. It's laughable listening to him, really. He just can't admit that Oregon has a really good team and they're a top-10 team this year. They might not be the best, but they are definitely a top-10 team. Any sane person would say that. Who's going to Las Vegas? I think Oregon, because they have, they have USC and they have, you know, nobody's talking about USC. You guys said that Oregon State controls their own destiny. Well, they really, they don't because USC's only got one loss. So somebody needs to beat USC and then, they do control their own destiny to Vegas. But I think Oregon has the best shot to play probably Washington again because Oregon has Oregon State and USC at home. But yeah. Oregon, is, any team is vulnerable in this league, John, because it's the best Pac-12 team that I've ever seen in this last year. It's yeah. amazing to me that these corrupt elites have destroyed the Pac-12. It's sad. It's, we should be really kind of mourning in the same time that we're worshiping the, the best season I think I've ever seen in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think I am doing that. Like, I, I do find myself at, you know, I'm going to Colorado this Saturday to see Oregon State play Colorado. And I'm going to look around that stadium the same way I did last week when I was in, you know, the Oregon-Utah game. And uh, I sort of just looked around and went, you know, this, this is a Pac-12 stadium. This should have been a Pac-12 stadium going forward, and it's not going to be. Utah is going to be a Big 12 team. Like it makes no sense to me. And and Arizona, Arizona State, same way. Washington. I was up at the game, uh, Oregon at Washington, and I was thinking this is going to be a Big 10 stadium in, in a season. Uh, it it makes no sense. I think it's uh, I think it's ridiculous. Um, the WNBA thing. I started the show with it. And, you know, there's some people fired up about it. I did a hit on KGW yesterday, last night, after after the radio show. You know, Catherine Cook at KGW does a fantastic job there. Asked me to join her and give some thoughts on the WNBA not picking Portland or saying Portland's not getting a franchise imminently. And, I, you know, it fires me up because 
I, you know, as much as I want to be fair to the Blazers, you know, a WNBA team is not their responsibility. They are not required. Jody Allen's not required to be like, hey, you have an NBA team. You should have a WNBA team. It's not a Title IX thing. But as much as I want to give them a pass there, I am left thinking, like, gosh, if Paul Allen were alive, I think Paul Allen would get it. You got Oregon down the road to had Sabrina Ionescu. You got Oregon State down the road. You got University of Portland, Michael Meek, great program. You got Portland State. You have some of the best women's college basketball in the country happening in our region. And a rabid following. You have the Thorns as evidence that the team would draw. Like, you know, I have daughters. I'm biased. I'd probably bring them to games just so I could say, hey, look, these are women playing basketball, right? You know, I would do that. But as much as I'm kind of disappointed by it and some people are upset by it, you know, and I'm blaming the Blazers a little bit because the renovations that the Blazers are making to Moda Center happen to coincide with the WNBA season. And so the commissioner's like, hey, we can't play games there. And there's no practice facility. Um, you know, some of that is the fault of the Blazers that, you know, they aren't on board. This isn't the, the flag they're carrying. Like Jody Allen, so as much as, you know, you, you would think Jody Allen, not an owner, a trustee, but a woman, would look at the WNBA and go, hey, this is an important thing. Maybe maybe this is a, a an impact or a lasting piece of legacy that I can leave on on the uh, on the sport and on the region. And she just doesn't seem to have any interest in it. And so I do blame them. But I don't know, Stephen, are, are, does it rise to the level of disappointment or is this just Portland's market going, of course we didn't get a WNBA team. We didn't get Major League Baseball in the last round. We didn't get a Final Four. Of course we're not getting it. I kind of feel like it's that, John. I feel like it's, uh, oh, well, we didn't get it, and that's just kind of how Portland is with a lot of things, especially when it comes to sports. I mean, it. I mean, you know, I've been here my whole life, and it's been like that forever. I mean, every time there's been any type of talk of being bringing a professional team in, it just, you know, talks died down, whether it was an NHL team back in the day. Uh, you know, Portland seemed like a very logical market for that, and, that, and then you had MLB to PDX. Like, that just kind of died down, and now the WNBA thing, like, it just – it's not surprising that this happens, and it's it's just like the Blazers, where its actions are speaking louder than words. They can say what they want. They can say, oh, yeah, we want to bring teams in, but until they actually prove that they want to bring them in, I'm not going to believe them. And it's unfortunate because I do think a WNBA team would be super successful here in Portland. I know they had the fire back in the day, but with the way that the game has grown here, especially in Oregon and Portland in general, like... This area has been always high on women's basketball, even back you know back into the 90s when the fire were here. You know, you have high school basketball, and now it's so viable here. Uh, you know, in 2023, so it would be so successful here. It's just too bad that you know the city just can't get it together and figure it out. Anthony Gold, wide receiver, Oregon State. He's joining us next. I was watching the Oregon State game at Arizona on Saturday night. And I saw Aiden Childs throw a pass about 60 yards from uh, where he stood in the pocket. Uh, the ball damn near brought rain. And underneath it, I saw number two running. And I thought for a second, did he just out-throw Anthony Gold's speed? Is Anthony Gold looking slow beneath an Aiden Childs pass? And then I said, no, no, Anthony's having to slow down to catch his pass. Uh, he did not. He did not out-throw you, did he? No, no, no. He knows he he had some some room left to to air that thing out a little bit more, but definitely didn't out throw me. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love that. What's that? What's that like in the in the stadium when the ball's up like that, 
And does it go quiet? Like, what is that? What's the sound of that as you're running underneath that pass and you can see the ball? Oh yeah, I mean, especially you know a pass like that. He threw it 60 yards, but you know he got some some height on it too. So um, it was it felt like it was hanging in the air forever. So I'm just running like, oh man, like. No, I, I hope the DB doesn't have time to catch up. Like, I'm either catching this ball or I'm getting a, a pass interference. Like, that's one of the two. So, you know, it kind of time slows down whenever, you know, you're seeing that ball just slowly come through at the air. But, um, yeah, you know, you're so used to it at this point. It kind of just happens like bang, bang. You know, it slows down for a second. But, you know, it's not too much to where, you know, you have too much time to really think about it. You guys will have Colorado in Boulder. Uh, you know, I'll be there to cover the game, but it's a night game. Give me an idea what you see on film as you're watching Colorado this season. Oh, yeah, you know, it's definitely a different team than last year, and, um, you know, that's something we came into the week uh, ready to prepare for. Um, but, you know, they're a good team, and the, the fact of the matter is they're a different team, uh, you know, at home than on the road. So uh, we know it's going to be it's going to be jumping, it's going to be loud, uh, the environment is going to be great, but, um, you know, they're they're a good team. You know, they got a you know high tired offense. Um, they like the tempo, uh keep things up. Uh defensively they're they're sounds, you know. So um they're you know, they're a good football team. Um it'll be a, a fun environment to go and play in. Um, you know, night game down there. Um so I'm I'm excited for it. Yeah, I I'm excited to see it and you guys on the road have struggled a little bit. Like your two losses have come on the road. I felt like you should have won both games. What do you think happens on the road? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want to say, you know, we're we're a bad road team, um, but you know, we we have taken two two losses on the road, you know, and I think it just comes down to you know executing and finishing, um, you know, having both losses by three, um, you know, with the chance to to come back and win the game, you know, two very close onside kicks, um, you know, I think it just comes down to you know execution, you know, in times when it when it matters, you know, there was a time in the Arizona game where. Uh, we could have went up two scores, and we didn't execute as an offense, and they went down and scored. Now we're we're playing from behind. So, um, you know, just executing moments when it matters. Um, I'd say that's that's probably the biggest thing on the road. You know, um, but you know, you can't really let it let too much of the road or the the hype or you know the fans try and affect you too much. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're playing football. So, um, you know, it doesn't matter. If, you know, you're playing in front front of anyone or uh, go out and play in front of 50,000, you know. Um, you got to go out there and execute if you want to be successful as a football team. So um, I think, you know, just us calming ourselves down and, you know, just realizing, you know, we're a good football team and we just need to execute. And, you know, on the on the road that hasn't always been the case, but, you know, that's something that, you know, you live and you learn from. And, um, you know, that's that's been a big goal of ours coming into this game this week. Give me an idea, because after a loss, a disappointing loss, you'll sometimes see a team lose focus or be flat. What was Sunday and Monday like for you guys? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's definitely, you know, a little dreadful after the game, but it's college football. You know, you got another week to play. And last time I checked, the season wasn't over, you know. So that's something that we all, you know, it was a little bit of a humbling moment, but it is what it is. You know, you got to – the sun came up another day, and, you know, you're grateful to be playing this sport for another day. So, um, you know, you got to kind of just take it with a, a grain of salt. Yeah, it sucks to lose, um, but the season's not over yet. You know, we can still do great things. Um, and that, you know, it's just 
Sunday, Monday was more so just harping on, you know, the execution we need to to, to dial in, um, the detail, um, and that starts in practice, you know, and that's something that um, we've been we've been sharp on this week is, you know, let's let's keep up the tempo, let's execute, let's be detailed during practice, so that we don't have to, um, you know, feel sorry for ourselves or after the game feel like we could have did some things different, you know, if we handle those things during practice and the the preparation is correct. Um, you shouldn't have to feel like that, um, you know, come after the game. But, I mean, it sucks to lose. You win some, you lose some. The season's not over. So, yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's, it sucks to lose. But I think guys are, you know, more so just irritated and upset that um, we didn't execute like we wanted to. Yeah, and I think as you look down the stretch this season, you're going to have opportunities. And, uh, you know, there's a possibility here if you win out, you still can get to Vegas. That's still on the table. Can you guys think that way, or do you just have to focus on this opponent this week and let the rest take care of itself? Nah, man, we got to take it week by week, and that's something you know we've kind of been um, focusing on throughout the whole year. Um, you know, trying not to look anyone overpass anyone. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what the record is. It doesn't matter how many points they score, how many points they give up. Um, you know, you can't overlook anyone, especially in the in the league this year. You know, I think you know that's very apparent. Um, but no, like I said, you know they're a good football team um, this weekend. So you know that's what our that's what our focus is on. You know we can't think about come December um, what will what will look like. You know so we got we still have four more games to play, um, and we're guaranteed a fifth. So uh, you know we're, we're we're worried week to week, and you know that's really where our focus is. Anthony Gold with us. This interview brought to you by Jamba. Uh, he's a Jamba guy. Are you still getting into Jamba? The weather's turning now, and and I gotta be honest with you. I thought about you. I was in Salt Lake City going through the airport. I stopped at Jamba and I I picked one up. But what are you drinking these days? Yeah, you know I've been going to Jamba. I probably went one. I went one time this week. I think you know the weather's starting to get a little cold, so um, you know smoothie intake might have to slow down. But you know, every time I go to Jamba, I get the the um, Belgian waffles. If you haven't had those, definitely okay. should get the Belgian waffles. Ask for okay. up. Um, those are great all year round. Warm, cold, uh, it doesn't matter. So the the Belgian waffles, I'll still be on, but the smoothies have slowed down a little bit. What do you want to say to Beaver fans who you know who saw last week and think, oh man, this you know I don't know, are they you know I don't know if I can count on this team this week. What do you say to to your fans? Yeah, you know, I really just say, you know, you got to just keep having faith. You know, um, we've come a long way as a program, um, you know, and if not too long ago people were celebrating, you know, three-point losses around here. So, um, you know, just just keep having faith and, you know, keep supporting us. Um, it goes a long way, and uh, we definitely all appreciate it. Um, but, yeah, you know, just keep being a beaver through and through, and um, we appreciate it more than you guys know. Anthony Gold, I appreciate you joining us every week. Travel safely. I will see you in Boulder. Good luck Saturday. Yes, sir. Thank you, John. All right. You take care. There he goes, Anthony Gold. Um, I did. I picked up Jamba. I was uh, in Salt Lake City coming back from that Oregon-Utah game, and I was walking through the airport, and there it was. Right there. There was no line. I was just, you know, this is incredible. I went up. I ordered. I had, you know, all these options in front of me, and I thought, you know, I could do the white gummy that he would suggested before. I went with, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it has pineapple in it, and I was just, like, solid. 
Uh, I want to I want to thank Jamba for making that interview possible throughout the season. Uh, Jamba, life is better blended. Now, Stephen, Anthony Gold is saying, "Hey, it wasn't that long ago that you know people cheered a three point loss at Oregon State, um, but those expectations have changed." Last week was a game that Oregon State needed to win if it was going to you know stay in control of its destiny. They still have an opportunity. As I look at the standings, there's seven teams that have two conference losses or less. They're one of them. They also have the opportunity to play Washington and Oregon, two teams that are in front of them in the standings. And if they can get those games, they have to win those games to get to Vegas, they could put Oregon in a position where it does not have the tiebreaker and it's in a tie with Oregon State, in meaning that Oregon State would, would have to beat Washington and then beat Oregon and, uh, of course, uh, beat Colorado and Stanford in the next two weeks. Now, that's me getting ahead of myself. I, I just don't think Beaver fan's going to be okay with a close loss. Yeah, yeah Beaver fan, I, I understand from the fans' point of view how disappointing it can be because we, you know, we as fans, we adjust our expectations accordingly, right? And, you know, Going into the season, they were top 25. You look at it even right now, you know, they were last week, they were number 11. They're right outside the top 10. And to lose to Arizona, it does hurt. But I think Anthony Gould hit on something there. He talked about, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, fans were, and even the players probably were celebrating three point losses. So they know what it is to lose and they know how to bounce back. Like, it's not the end of the world, basically, is what he's saying. And we know how to bounce back from that situation. Now, it's not a great situation, right? Like, you would rather control your own destiny. But I do think the fact that these guys, especially a guy like Anthony Gould, who's been there a long time, he's been through a lot at Oregon State. He has seen the lowest of lows. Now they're at you know the peak of what they're supposed to be. So he knows that, like, you know what? If we lose, we know how to bounce back and how to forget that one game, adjust, and move on to the next game and try to win that. Because that's all they can do. All they can do is go out and try to win the next game that's at Colorado. So I love the mindset that he has there, John, of just saying, you know what? We're going to remember it. We lost Arizona. It was a tough loss, but now we're just going to forget that. We're going to focus on Colorado and do what we can do and, and you know, control our destiny that way because we still have a lot to play for. And he mentioned that, you know, they still have, uh, you know, four games plus an extra bowl game. Like, they have a lot of season left. So I think it's important that they have already gone through some of these things where they lose and they have to learn how to, you know, just refocus, recheck back up and go on to the next opponent. I, I love the mindset that he had. I, I have uh, people telling me I'm crazy, but I'm going to throw this out again. I, I look at the schedule. I look at the objective. Oregon State, of course, would love to win out and give itself a chance to be that second team going to Las Vegas. If you're going to win out, can you win out with DJ Uyunglele at quarterback? Or do you need to start transitioning to Aiden Childs, hoping that he's got more upside, more ceiling, and that by the time you play Washington and Oregon in three and four weeks from now, you are better. You are more dangerous. You are more dynamic. You hear what I'm saying here? It's a risk. I'm asking, does Jonathan Smith double down and begin to give Aiden Childs more snaps against Colorado and Stanford, hoping he sees something that makes him say, that's my starter against Washington? Here's my question for you, John, is how much, when you look at the Oregon State losses, how much are you putting on DJ? 
because I you know I'm not haven't been the biggest DJ fan all season, but yeah. I don't think he's necessarily been bad in both of their losses. He wasn't great no. against Washington State, but I wouldn't blame him for it. He's his, not the number one problem, it, but he he does leave some plays out there. He does. But at the same time, I feel like that's kind of what Lindgren and Smith want him to do. Like, they don't want to have him make mistakes. They know that he's prone to do that, as he did at Clemson. They're just trying to simple it down for him. So maybe you're right. Maybe Ian Childs gives him a higher ceiling. But I feel like at this point, the Beavs still have to have a chance to play for that Pac-12 championship game. I don't know. I, I love Ian Childs. I don't know how much you can really put him out there besides that I don't know either. I don't either. But here, my, what I'm wondering is, okay, if you're going to put him out there against Washington or Oregon three and four weeks from now, I need to see more now. And I'm not saying you hand him the keys and you say he's the starter, but I would like to see, let's give him three series instead of one during the game. Let's see what he does getting a little rhythm. And if you start to see things that go, like you go, wow, like, you know, they're better with him. Like I, And then I think you got to think about, you know, Stanford in two weeks, you give him a little more. Chip Kelly did it with... You know, he put Dante Moore out there in the non-conference, put him out there in the early part of the season, saw enough after he threw three picks against Oregon State, went back to Ethan Garbers, and UCLA's been better. Now, I'm not, I think it's a little bit of the opposite scenario here because you've got DJ, who I think is going to make fewer mistakes, but also doesn't run quite as well and doesn't quite have the arm of Aiden Childs. So I'm kind of just wondering, like, can we see a little more of Aiden? Like, can we? Can I get him? Can I get two series in this game? I, I agree you know? with you because I will say, when Aiden comes in, there's a little more juice, right? There's a little more juice in the offense. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe if he comes out and he scores on that first possession, maybe give him a second possession, and then go from there. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not ready just to say, hey, we need to we need to give Aiden Childs two or three possessions a game right now, just because there's so much still on the line, but. I, I'd be okay. I'd be okay with it. You know what? If Aiden comes out, they score on that first possession, give him a second possession to see what happens. All right. I'm on board with that. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Coming up, top of the hour, Kelly Graves, University of Oregon women's basketball coach, will be joining us. I'm excited about that interview. He says Bobby Knight yelled at him one time. Uh, we'll find out more about that coming up. Um, Bobby Knight passed away yesterday at the age of 83, longtime Indiana basketball coach and uh, also coached at Texas Tech, the Olympic team, all of that. Um, really, uh, really interesting to see kind of the reaction nationally. You know, it, it, it struck me years ago, I think it was Marge Schott, the former owner of the Cincinnati Reds, who was just this, she was not a nice human being. She was um, rough around the edges, had said some racist things, had said sexist things. She was the owner of the Reds, and people just hated her. And then she died, and everyone's like, well, she was a pioneer. She was such a great person. Like, I get why we do that when we memorialize people. We tend to focus on the best parts of them, and Bobby Knight is one of those people. He had uh, he was a good teacher, great teacher of basketball. He was a disciplinarian. He was successful in his craft. He had a lot of redeeming qualities. He also had some warts. And I think it's interesting to kind of see nationally when we, uh, you know, when we sort of uh, put Bobby Knight's memory to rest, how people are talking about him. And I think people are talking real about him, more so maybe than other figures who have passed away, uh, you know, high-profile figures who pass away, you know, people – tend to focus on 
the good things and not the bad things. Stevens, why why is that? Why do we do that? Why do we focus on sort of the um, the the best parts of people? Um, I would guess it's because it's more the fact that like they can't defend themselves. They're not here, and then it's all you know. You don't want to be disrespectful to anybody. Like we know that no matter what Bobby Knight did to you know whether it's you or any other reporter, like there is someone that probably loves him somewhere, right? Like there's someone that is mourning his death very you know very badly. Um, you know, whether it's his family or whatever. So I, I think you're just trying to be respectful at that time as well. But uh, it is interesting. Like, Bobby Knight is a great instance of this because, you know, by a lot of accounts, he wasn't a nice person, and a lot of people didn't get along with him. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to be just super disrespectful about it because he was super good at his job and at his craft. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm one of those people as well, John. Like, I don't necessarily like the things that he did or what he said, um, and I don't I – don't, really believe in the kind of coaching philosophy that he had of just getting after people and yelling at people. But I'm also, you know, aware enough to know that it works for some people and that he was one of the most successful coaches in the nation. Yeah. I think, uh, you think you gotta be real about, you know, who people are and how they're remembered. And I saw a tweet from an author who had written a book and he had sent the book about the Cleveland Indians. Bobby Knight was a big baseball fan. He loved the Cleveland Indians which explains why the story I told yesterday about Jim Tomey being in the post-game news conference, it makes sense to me now uh, how excited Knight was about having Tomey there, uh, who played for Cleveland. Um, but uh, the, the author had sent Bobby Knight his book, and then he received a call from Bobby Knight, and the book was about the Cleveland Indians, and Bobby Knight wanted to talk to him about it, and they talked on the phone for a minute, and it became evident to the author that Bobby Knight wasn't lucid, that he had been struggling with memory loss, Alzheimer's, I think was the diagnosis, and he laid, the author later found out that, um, you know, he was like, gosh, I wish you hadn't talked to Knight. And, and, and apparently one of the things that Bobby Knight had memory of was he could recite all of the players who played for like the 1950s and 1960s for the Cleveland Indians. That part of his memory was fine. But he struggled with everything else. He couldn't remember being a basketball coach. Couldn't remember, and in the end, uh, really sad. Like really, really sad. And I know that people who have, I have friends who um, have significant others that are struggling with memory, uh, memory care, and memory loss. And we've talked over the years about you know high-profile people who have had that happen. I mean, I just think it's one of the most difficult, insidious things that happen because you lose your loved one before your very eyes they they aren't there anymore in the way that they used to be there and i think it's really sad but uh, bobby knight 83 years old passed away yesterday we'll talk to kelly graves about that plus the uh, upcoming season i'll ask him some wnba why not you know was he uh, what's he think about portland maybe getting a team one day plus why did he give up halloween kelly graves was your hero on halloween he had a storage facility that was filled with Halloween stuff, and apparently he's not putting it out anymore. I don't know why. I need to know why he didn't participate in Halloween this year. He tweeted out he was hanging it up. He wasn't going to be doing the Halloween decoration this year. Why? Did he not have it in him? What's going on? We'll talk to Kelly Graves about that coming up. Before that, though, we'll give you a big splash. It's the one thing you need to know today. This is the Big Splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. 
Seven-time Major League Baseball All-Star, All-Star Nelson Cruz is retiring after 19 seasons. He has 464 career home runs. He's 43 years old now. Uh, he's going to compete this winter in the Dominican Professional Baseball League. He's going to do a farewell tour there. He was released by the Padres in July. Um, he's now uh, six months removed after uh, – uh, he was released after – Signing a one-year contract, but he only hit 245 with five home runs. He is a career 274 hitter. Played with eight different teams. You may uh, remember the, him with the Brewers or the Rangers or the Orioles, the Mariners. You remember him with the Mariners, the Twins, the Rays, the Nationals, the Padres, and uh, and uh, he was also banned for uh, a period. He had a 50-game suspension after he was connected to a, a lab that was accused of supplying PEDs. 464 home runs. Kind of feels like Nelson Cruz. Not going to get in the Hall of Fame. Had a nice long career and is hanging it up. There it goes. It's a hard thing for players. How do you know when it's the time? What, what time is it? A lot of times in football, the teams will tell the players it's time. They'll just cut you. You're no longer needed. In baseball, it can be a little different because of contracts being, you know, it's not that you have a, a non-guaranteed contract. You you have a guaranteed contract, so there's a little more investment there. They really have to be done with you before they let you go. And then there's somewhere for you to go if you want to play in Japan or somewhere else. Uh, you know, if you go, want to go play in the minor leagues, you can. I don't know how many MLB guys would want to do that, but you can hang around a little bit. Um in, uh, in uh, you know, college athletics, you've got a draft that kind of indicates whether you're going to go on or not. But uh, I think it's a hard t- hard thing for athletes, especially a guy like Nelson Cruz, who's done it for like 20 years, to decide, okay, it's time. All right, coming up, Kelly Graves. We're going to talk to him about Bobby Knight and so much more. Leave it right here. You can talk about all the motivational speeches and phrases and devices in the world, but the greatest motivator of all is your ass on the bench. There is no better motivator. Ass meets bench. Bench retains ass. Ass transmits signal to brain. Brain transmits signal to body. Body gets ass off bench and plays better. I mean, it's a hell of a sequence of things that takes place. Bobby Knight. Passed away yesterday, the age of 83. I covered him just for one season, 1998-1999. The general in Bloomington. It was a wild ride. I'm glad I got that opportunity. I don't know that I would have lasted very long on that beat, though. It was interesting, never boring. Every off day, leave your tape recorder running. Ass meets bench. Great motivator. Kelly Graves, University of Oregon women's basketball coach, former college player himself, joining us now. Is is uh, is Bobby Knight right? Great motivator, benching a player. Well, I've always thought the two two best motivators are the bench and the baseline. So, uh, you know, they're not doing what they should in practice. Sometimes you just put them on the line, on the baseline, and you run. But, yeah, it can be. Sure. Sure. I think he's on to something there. 
I think you have to you know your. You also kind of triggered me, big guy. I did. How so? That, that's a, that's my trigger, you know, because he he got on me when I was in school back in the day. Let me hear about this. So that 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 it's all coming back to me now. What happened? I was at this uh, basketball camp at Utah State, the uh, some All American basketball camp, and this was back in like seventy eight, seventy nine, and. Uh, he was the guest speaker. Now, obviously, everybody knew who he was, and they were two years removed from their undefeated season. But, uh, you know, we were out stretching and doing stuff like that while he's talking, I think, about the importance of stretching. So he turned me off right then, right? <laughs> so I guess I was kind of talking or whatever, and he kind of made his way through me. You know, there was 100 or so guys in the camp, and he comes up next to me, and he says, Son? You mind standing up? And he, uh, so I stood up, and, you know, he's a big man. Yes. And he put his hand on the back of my neck and squeezed and made me look at everybody and proceeded to dress me down <laughs> for, like, the next two minutes. Uh, according to him, I was never going to amount to anything. <laughs> on and on and on. I forget what he said exactly, but I got Bobby Knighted pretty good. That is a, that's a great story. Do you think you could have played for him? Would you have adjusted to his style of coaching? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I, I think we all the coaches back then, John, as you well know, uh, were like that. You know, that's kind of that. He was the prototype, and and to be honest, when I first got into coaching, uh, he was the one that everyone tried to emulate. Uh, you know, you had the Dean Smith faction because he was so gentle and, you know, and I guess John Wooden to, to some degree then he was, he was on his way out. Uh, but it was Bobby Knight and he was a great teacher of coaches. And, you know, I, the, the first videotape, this is back when VHS was a brand new thing. In fact, they may have been beta, but it was the Bobby Knight motion offense clinic one and clinic two. And I think, those two videotapes were in every young coach's library. And uh, I, I spent countless hours watching those. And early on in my career, ran a lot of the stuff that he did. Let me ask you, because I think he was a fantastic teacher. I never saw him in a clinic setting, but I saw him working with players. And I did get peeks into practice. And he would take media members if he was in a good mood. And he'd try to teach us what he was actually trying to do on the court or what they were trying to do. But do you think his style translates to today that gets said a lot i even i'm guilty of saying it is there truth in that like in today's nil portal world does his act play probably not um you know only because it took a while for the so-called whistleblowers to kind of you know uh act back then i i'm not sure that the neil reed thing was done like overnight nowadays you know student athletes feel empowered to you know to go to your bosses about those kind of things so uh and parents are a lot more involved than they were you know there was a time when whatever the coaches said went and i grew up in that that generation that's why even for someone like me it's it's still a little bit uh, different you know what we're going through now you know when the coach said you know jump you you said how high and that's you know now they want to know, well, why? <laughs> why should I jump? <laughs> you know, it's it's just different. 
And I'm it, not saying it's better or worse. It's just that's the way we grew up. It, it's interesting to me to kind of hear people memorialize him. And I think a lot of times we only say the nice things. But I am hearing people talking about, eh, you know, he was a great coach. He was a great teacher. But he had a temper issue. Or, you know, and I think with Knight, he was a very complex guy. Like, I really liked him. I liked covering him. I thought he was interesting. I thought he was smart. You're right. I was surprised how big he was because I'd seen him on TV. But I didn't realize how tall he was. He's a large human being, and he's intimidating just standing in front of you. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think the true testament is, you, you know, you you look at the people who are, you know, the, the outpouring of, of support and, and, and empathy and, and sympathy and all that kind of stuff now. He touched a lot of lives, and I think his players, you know, obviously there's some that, that didn't like him, but I think the majority of them did. And from what I understand, he, you know, if you could get through and play for him for four years, he was loyal to you for the rest of your life and would do anything. He would call employers and say, you would be crazy if you didn't hire this person. And just look at his coaching tree and starts with Krzyzewski and goes and goes on. And, um, you know, they are all influenced by, uh, by him. So, you know, I, I think it's easy to, to kind of, you know, and in this day and age, let's face it, you know, everybody looks at the negative, but there were certainly a lot of positives about him. We're talking to Kelly Graves, University of Oregon women's basketball coach. Uh, this season, this upcoming season, uh, you know, how excited are you? You know, what do you think of your team at this point? Can you believe it starts on Monday, opening I night? I know. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Everybody's frenzied for football, and our volleyball team here is doing so well. Um, you know, it's crazy to think the basketball's right around the corner, but I like my team. I do. You know, it's it, it just full disclosure and being totally honest, it's not our most talented team we've had, um, but I, I still feel we can have a great season. I, I think we've got a uh, certainly a good nucleus, one through seven. I think we're very, very good. Uh, we just got to work on developing some depth because it's a long season and you need more than seven. Um, but, you know, we work hard. The chemistry's been great. I think we have some blue-collar types on the team, and then we have a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of stars that we're going to really rely on to, to kind of carry us, uh, certainly in big moments. What do you see around the conference? And I know Stanford's got a lot coming back, but what do you see in the Pac-12 in general? Oh, I think it's as loaded as it's ever been. Uh, you know, Utah's a legitimate Final Four contender, so is UCLA. I think they're both ranked in the preseason top five. Stanford, you know, they're <laughs> they're always good. I mean, that, that goes without saying. I think USC, they just got the number one player in the country. She's a freshman. Uh, she's got a chance to be really special. She could probably play in the WNBA right now as a, as a true freshman. Uh, you know, and then Washington State won the league last year, and they return everybody. Uh, you know, it's just in Colorado, you know, my old uh, former player, JR, has done an amazing job, and they're in the top 15 or 16 in every poll. So it's uh, it's really deep, and uh, it's going to be a real challenge night in, night out. But, you know, but the Ducks are going to be good enough to beat anybody on any given day. Over an eight-game schedule, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But, um, but we're going to certainly fight, that's for sure. I look at the football teams this season, and I made this comment to Dan Landing the other day that, you know, that there are a lot of these teams that look really different. 
in in week eight or nine or ten than they did in week two or three. Does that happen over the course of a basketball season? And and what is the sample size when you start to see teams that really start to evolve? Like you know, how many games do you need to sort of have growth? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think by the time you get to Christmas, you you pretty much know what you have. Uh, you know, um, you're going into conference play, but there's ups and downs every year. You know, we had a lull in the middle of Pac-12 season that cost us ultimately, you know, a tournament bid. But, um, you know, but then at the end of the year, we were playing great. I mean, look at baseball. I mean, you know, baseball's a different sport, but the, the Rangers there in parts of September and August were among the worst teams in the, in the, in baseball. And then they, you know, they get hot at the right time. So, I think with every sport, there's just ups and downs, and uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna go through those too. Coach, I saw on social media that you weren't participating in Halloween, and I need to know why. <laughs> what happened? Well, twenty five years. Have you been on the radio twenty five years yet? No, 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 not not twenty five, but hitting yeah, hitting think creeping so. up on twenty, creeping up on twenty here. Yeah. Well, I've I've been doing it for about 25 years, and I love it. It's been awesome. In fact, this year when kids came to the door and parents, they were disappointed, and they kept thinking, you know, thank you. It's been a big part of the neighborhood, on and on. It was just time. Uh, that and the fact that my youngest son is back from college. He's headed overseas to play some pro ball, but he's here, and all of his stuff is in the garage. And I quite frankly didn't want to – take it all out to put my stuff in so i thought eh, now's probably a pretty good time to just shut it down so when you, you know, say shut all, it down we all grow up right i'm 16 no, so i had to finally no. grow up when you say shut it down <laughs> okay. are you are you like selling everything giving it away what are you, are you keeping it in storage are you in hiatus or are you really done john i'm done i i had uh, I, i've given almost everything away uh you know but it's being used so we, okay. we had a great event here at the arena for kids uh, a couple of nights before Halloween. It was very well attended. A lot of my stuff was here. I brought in two big totes full of stuff for them to use, and now it's theirs to keep. And then I did the. I sent over about eight or nine totes to the athletic department, and they do a little open haunted house every year, and a lot of it was used there, and now hopefully will be dispersed to everybody over there. So... It's all gone, big guy. Just a couple of zombies. You know, I got a you. Got to have a you and me look alike. So right. I got a couple of those still, but that's it, man. That's so it. So you're gonna have to find something else because you're, there's, you're gonna find that the, you got a little bit of free time on your hands. We'll see what happens here. Uh, WNBA, like a lot of people expecting Portland was gonna get a franchise. Seems like that's on pause now. It just feels like it, it's a natural fit, and and you're a part of this. And I'm gonna drag you into this because. Scott Ruick and Kelly Graves have both generated passion, generated players, put players in the league. It feels like there's just great synergy in this region, and I hope that eventually there's a WNBA team here. But what was your reaction when you saw, hey, Portland, you know, gotta, you're going to be on hold for a while? Well, I haven't really followed it, to be honest, so I'm not sure where they're at. I, I think it makes great sense. It's a no-brainer, in my opinion. You've got two of the 15 largest fans. Um, you know, uh, universities in, in fan attendance right here in your backyard. And, 
you know, the Thorns, obviously, they, they draw really well, I think, best in the league. And you've got the infrastructure there with the, the beautiful arenas. So I don't know why they don't. Um, right now there's 13 teams in the league. That doesn't make a lot of sense. you gotta, yeah, I think you got to have an even number. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I, I would think that Portland would be a great franchise. I know you've been on the baseball bandwagon for years and i think that's a great idea too like portland's a major league city so we should have multiple major league teams in my opinion yeah i i i would like to see a wnba team here i think you funnel your talent right into it um all right so season starting uh young player maybe that we can watch who's your who's your young player that maybe has an opportunity to have a big ceiling by the time she's done playing well, we've got a lot of young players, but one name I'll throw out there that I know you know and a lot of people in the Portland area do, and that's Sophia Bell. Uh, yep. She's been one of our most consistent players right from the start. She's solidly earned a starting spot as kind of that in that 2-3 position for us. And, you know, she's a, if she was an NBA guy, she'd be a lottery pick because she's a classic 3 and D, great length, uh, you know, shoots a 3 and can really defend. So... It's exciting to have a, a, a Portland. You know, we haven't had a lot of great Oregon players that have played for us since I've been here. Uh, Lexi Bando certainly won. But, uh, so it's going to be really nice to have a, an Oregonian, and she's a legacy. You know, her dad, Greg, played down here as well yeah. back in the day. So yep. uh, really excited about her. She's a great kid, too, four-point student, which is twice what I got. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so she's, uh, she's the whole package, really. Kelly, this, uh, you know, you guys have raised expectations, obviously, over the years. Uh, give me an idea of, you know, how do you build upon what you have now? How do you get this program back to competing for a conference championship? Well, it takes continuing to get great players, and we've been able to do that. Our recruiting has not really slowed down. Our problem has been we haven't kept them, you know, uh, the portal – We've lost more to the portal than we gained, I think, overall. We, last year we made a conscious effort to go with the young players, and I think that's going to pay off. But in this day and age, you just got to be active in the portal as well. And um, you know, But I, I, I think we can get it back to where we had it. I, I, I truly do. And you know, Oregon still has a great name, and there aren't very many programs out there that have a first and a second team all-WNBA player uh, in their recent past. So, you know, it, that if kids want to be pros, this is still a great place to come to. So we'll, we'll get it back. My staff's working hard. I think we have the right makeup, the right personnel this year on the team, and I think we, uh, we'll we we'll turn some heads. I think we're really going to be a team that plays hard and scrappy, and, and, you know, my teams have always played good offense. You know, we just got to put it all together now. You, uh, you're watching your kids grow up and go off into – you know, various stages of their life. What is that like for you? Well, it's pretty cool. My oldest just got engaged here a month or two ago, and that's pretty neat. So we're planning, a, or they're planning a wedding for next October. So uh, hopefully soon, man, I'll have some grandkids around. We'll see. But, uh, you know, and, and Jack, my middle son, is still doing a great job coaching the Lane women's basketball team, and they're you know they're phenomenal i think he's lost like four or five games in the last three years uh and then my youngest uh, will is, is headed to indonesia to play pro ball you know that's going to be a good start for him he's looking forward to it and, uh so yeah it's 
you know, it's it's rewarding. It's it's a lot of fun to see him grow up. You're, you'll be there soon, big guy. You've got one out of the house, but you know, it's uh, when they all leave, it's like darn. <laughs> you know, leaves a big hole in your heart for sure. I know, and then you're getting out of the Halloween game. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have to check on you. All right, uh, bank on that. Hey, right, but you... I am gonna be in Portland a lot, though. I've I've okay. got uh, you know tickets for the Blazers. And I'm going to keep those, I think, for the rest of my life, get into the Blazer deal. And so I'm okay. going to be up there like I was last year, 10 or 12 times. So That's nice. Let's make sure we uh, grab some coffee. Uh, let's do that. All right. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what are you looking for out of Scoot Henderson, then? Let's just talk as a fan here. Like, I'm not going to quote you as a coach. What do you want to see out of uh, Blazers' rookie? Well, he's got to get elite fast. Because I think uh, that's a that's a position. If they they get great play out of that, I think they're going to be pretty good. Sharp was amazing last night. Man, down the stretch, he was unguardable. Kind of reminded me of Kobe back in the day. But I think they've got the pieces. I think they have the right coach. Uh, they'll they'll be young, but I think it's a team that can grow together. So I'm really looking forward to them. I think they're going to be a lot better in February and March than they are in November and December. Uh, so I look forward to seeing what the ceiling is for these guys. But, yeah, I haven't seen a lot of, of Scoot, so I, I would defer to you and any of your listeners for a better, um, you know, explanation there. I appreciate you calling in and uh, talking about Bobby Knight squeezing your neck and uh, love that you listen to the show. <laughs> and good luck to you on Monday. You got Northern Arizona. Come into Matthew Knight Arena, then Arkansas Pine Bluff on Wednesday, and uh, off to a good start. Well, let's hope so. Okay. Hey, I right. appreciate you, John. You bet. You bet. Okay, Thanks, buddy. Coach. All right. There he goes, Kelly Graves. He's giving up Halloween. What's gotten into him? Come on. You can't give up a holiday that you have specialized in. Um, you know, I get it. He's done it for 25 years. He's going, hey, I don't have the kids. And believe me, believe me. My front yard today still has some Halloween decor out there. Uh, the kids seem less interested in helping me clean it up than they did in helping me put it up, if you know what I mean. Leave it here. Kelly Graves leaving it to uh, Staven to evaluate the performance of Scoot Henderson to this point of the season. Steven, Scoot. Not great. Not great at all. Um, there's been some signs that he's been good, but you know, you look at his overall stats and you look at some in-depth numbers, and they haven't been great for Scoot. Um, you know, there's some things that I really like about him. You know, last night there was a couple plays where he got a couple buckets going, and then he went and he got into people on defense, and he picked them up full court, and then he caused a turnover on the defensive side, and that's the kind of stuff that I like to see, John. But if you just look at the numbers and you look at kind of what he's done. There's been a lot left desired. Now, I'm not worried about him. It's five games, small sample size, uh, but I think there's a lot of learning for him to become a really good player. And, and there's going to be time to have that happen, but uh, you know, he's got the athleticism. The jump shot's just not there yet. He's going to have to work on that. He's going to have to work on you know, changing speeds. He has one speed, and that's it. You know, A lot of the NBA is you know going quick, then going slow, then going quick again. He's got to learn how to do that. But um, I would say he has been... A little under what I thought he would come when he come in and play like uh, a little under under underachieving, but overall it's been okay, but not great. The two and three start raised an eyebrow with me because I you know I had him at maybe like 
one and five in the first five. Two and three, they did a little better than I thought they would. Is They're on a pace now to win 32 games. Would you take over or under 30 right now if I gave it to you? I would still take the under on 30. Um, that's a little high for me, but I, I think that's the right number. And it's one of those things where you look at this team, John, they have some veterans on the team that are really playing well. And Malcolm Brogdon has come off the bench. He's been really good this entire season so far, the first five games. It's going to be hard to imagine there's not going to be another team that is looking to compete that will want a guy like him, whether to come off the bench or not. I, I love I love him off the bench. You know, He's the guy that I've been looking for the Blazers to get off of the bench for years. And they finally got him, but they're not going to continue building with him. They'll trade him at some point, I imagine. But Shaden Sharp, as Kelly Graves said, he's been really good. Um, what do you do with What do you do if uh, Anthony Simons when he comes back? That, that's the question, right? I mean, luckily there's six weeks in between when he comes back, probably, and uh, you know when we have to make that decision. But I think you you can't take Shaden Sharp out of the lineup with the way that he's been playing. You know, he's definitely taking that leadership role of being the go-to guy on the team. And so I think right now, if I were to choose, it would have to be Matisse Thibel going to the bench, and you just have to start the three guards and see what happens and then figure it out from there. But, yeah, I mean, Shane Sharp has been awesome, John. You know, I, I you know I was looking up some stats, and he's number one in, in wings in the NBA of non like forcing non-shooting fouls. So, you know, using his body off the ball, running off his screens, you know, getting after people and forcing, uh, forcing people to foul him. That's a unique skill to have, and at 20 years old, to be able to lead league after five games, small sample size, but you know he, he's causing fouls, and he's drawing fouls, and that's the key in the NBA to get easy buckets like that, because he can shoot, he can jump, he can run, but you know what, if you can cut, you can get some easy points, that's the way to do it, so Shane Sharp, you know, he's been very impressed with these first five games. I played that Bobby Knight cut in front of the Kelly Graves interview, if people missed it, he was talking about the best motivator being the fact that, uh, you know, the bench... I've uh, got some other Bobby Knight to share with you. Here's Bobby Knight uh, talking about why his Indiana teams played so damn hard. Somebody says to me, how do you get your teams to play as hard as they do? Your teams play harder than almost any other basketball team I watch. What's your secret? Well, there's absolutely no secret. You're either going to play hard or you're not going to play. That's a great motivational device. There it is. You'd be on the bench unless you play hard. And he's right. His guys compete uh, baseline to baseline, sideline to sideline. They played hard, and they won games because of that, in part. He also talked about coaching Michael Jordan. He did it uh, you know, as part of the Dream Team. And, uh, and in 1984, he had Jordan in an Olympic game as one of the coaches. And I remember 11 minutes, or 19 points, 12 rebounds, and 9 assists. And I walk over and I say, Mike, when the hell are you going to set a screen? I mean, we had four guys out there screening. When the hell are you going to screen somebody, Mike? I mean, all you're doing is rebounding, passing, and scoring. Damn it, screen somebody out here. And Mike looks up at me, you know, and... and you all know, and you, the world knows Michael Jordan's smile. I mean, it's the greatest. Mike looks up at me and he smiles and he says, Coach, didn't I just read last week where, where you said I may be the quickest player you've ever been around? And I said, what the hell has that got to do with you screening? And he says, Coach, I think I set him quicker than you can see him. Yeah. <laughs> That's Jordan. Great personality and a great, great player. He's a good joke teller, Bobby Knight. He has, uh, he, he knew how to tell a story. He knew how to set up a story. Here he is talking about um, when he's gone 
what he would like to see. This is a speech from uh, 1994 at Assembly Hall. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my ass. <laughs> they, they only made one of him. Uh, who else remembers that tense exchange with Jeremy Shap, Bobby Knight, uh, on television, talking with Jeremy Shap? I'll never forget him telling Jeremy that, you know, he, basically he wasn't as good as his father. Here's Knight and Shap. Uh, I think I, I when I talked about, about Pat. Bob, you came here to do an interview. I'm asking you questions. When I talked, well, then let me finish the answer. Yeah. Is that okay, go Jeremy? Ahead. Is that fair enough? Please go right Have ahead. I interrupted your questions yet? Yes. No, I haven't. You've interrupted my answers with your questions, and then I've tried to get back. So Please let me continue. finish this. you got a long way to go to be as good as your dad. You better keep that in mind. I appreciate uh, it. <laughs> it could cut you. He could cut you right down uh, in a heartbeat. Uh, really good stuff. The, the Bobby Knight story about Jordan. There was, there was a, uh, there's a whole preamble to that. I, I'm going to play the whole story here. You know, he wanted Michael Jordan to set screens, and you know, Jordan had just co- gone out and dominated against Spain in the Olympics in 1984. Here's Knight. I walked into the locker room after. The first half of our game was Spain in 1984 for the gold medal. We're ahead by 29 points. We played basketball as well as the game can be played. Michael Jordan has played 12 minutes out of the 20. He has 11 rebounds, 9 assists, and 19 points in 12 minutes. In my opinion, there's nobody that's ever played anything that can compare to Michael Jordan with the possible exception of Jack Nicklaus and Babe Ruth. Michael Jordan is just the best there ever was at what he does by a considerable margin. So I'm walking across the floor with this 29-point lead as I look at the scoreboard, and I'm a great believer in the best three minutes of the game for us has got to be the first three minutes of the second half. But what the hell am I going to say? Hey, we got to get better. We're 29 points ahead. We got to win by 59. These kids are going to be a little bit satisfied with themselves. They know how well they play. And when I get to the locker room, I still haven't come up with an answer. I open the door, and the first guy I see is Jordan sitting in front of his locker. Idea light flashes. I say to myself, I'm going to get on Jordan's ass a little bit. And everybody else is going to say, God, if he's upset with Jordan, how's he feel about me? <laughs> 12 minutes, 19 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, and I have the stat sheet in my hand, and I walk over in front of Jordan, and I look down at him, and I say, Mike, when the hell are you going to set a screen? We got four guys out there screening when you're in the game, screening to get you open, screening to get each other open. Haven't seen you set a screen yet. The only way I get all five guys screening, Mike, is to get you the hell out of the game. Now, when are you going to set a screen? All you've been doing so far, goddammit, is rebounding, passing, and scoring. You need to scream, Mike. Now, Jordan, you've all seen the grin. I mean, it's the greatest grin in the world. 
doesn't quite use all of his grin in this circumstance. But he looks up at me and he grins a little bit and he says, Coach, didn't I see last week where you said I was the quickest player you'd ever been around? I said, Mike, what the hell has that got to do with you screening? Coach, I think I'm setting them quicker than you can see them out there. You see how he recycled that story? He told it almost verbatim, like the second time you hear that on the Letterman show and then there in front of a, uh, in front of a live audience. Uh, really, had I had a good time covering his teams. It wasn't fun every day. He One time I was interviewing him, and I had my tape recorder held in front of his face. I don't know if you've ever tried to hold your arm out, and you know, you're uh, holding a tape recorder at arm's length for an extended period of time, and your arm starts to get a little shaky, and you, know, start, you start moving around a little bit. And I can remember I kind of was moving my arm back and forth to try to, you know, keep the blood circulation in my arm while he was talking. And I was moving the micro, the uh, the tape recorder towards his face and then away from his face and then towards his face. And he, he looked me in the eye and he said, you better get that thing out of my face before I, I grab it and you have to go get another one at Kmart for three ninety nine. And he was like just this steely look in his eye. And I, I just, I'll never forget that because, you know, I couldn't imagine being in the position of some of his players on a daily basis, beholden to him for playing time, you had to be a certain person to be able to play for Bobby Knight. But uh, really, uh, one of the greats, great teacher, and obviously a Hall of Famer and an all-timer. His legacy, of course, in college basketball is cemented for all of time. But I agree with Kelly Graves. I just don't think the act flies in today's college basketball. I don't think that... You're able to talk to players like that when there's a transfer portal available. And, you know, I, I think nowadays I think the coaches spend a lot more time managing uh, their own roster than they used to in those days in, in that sense as well. All right, coming up, Anna's going to do the 5 at 5. That'll be at the top of the hour. Um, Steven, could you have played for Bobby Knight? Uh, no, I don't think I could have. Uh, you know, it, it's not that I don't like getting yelled at. It's just I sometimes I feel like he was over the top, and you know, it turns into disrespect. Totally over the top, and, and totally. it turns it's disrespectful to me. So um, I don't want to be disrespected like that. Like I'm okay if if you got a reason for yelling at me, but uh, once you cross that line, I, I I couldn't do it. I wouldn't want to. He he would break his. Well, he had the military background because he had you know he'd coached at West Point, he'd played at Ohio State himself, and you know he had the military background, and so it was evident that you know there was a. There was a tinge of, I'm going to break you down and then build you back up. And by the time these guys were seniors and had been in the program, you know, they would talk about horror stories. They would talk about almost quitting. They would talk about how, you know, it was, it was a lot like when you talk to Navy SEALs or you hear them talking about their story and how difficult the training was and how it, it just, you know, it brought you together because you were all having this common experience. And I think... You know, that, that kind of mentality in the 1970s, 80s, and even in the 90s worked. But in 2023, he would, uh, if he got the best players, he would have very quickly had those players end up somewhere else. And I can remember even, you know, a young Greg Oden had an opportunity to go play for Bobby Knight and chose Ohio State instead. Oden was, you know, Mr. Indiana basketball. That was a, uh, that was a big, big deal. All right, leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Well, we've arrived at that point of the week 
where Anna and Steven and I are going to review 12 fun facts that the Pac-12 Conference have offered up to us. Greg in the research department every week sends me 12 fun facts to know about the Pac-12 this week. And then we decide whether it's a fun fact or not. Okay? You ready, Anna? I feel like we should have a benchmark that you play there. It was such a pregnant pause. I know. I I have uh, considered it for several weeks (laughs) that I should have... In much the same way that we have improved the production quality of the five at five, yeah. we should have a somebody who goes fun fact, and then or, and then a voice that goes nah, nah. you know. <laughs> Let's start with Arizona. Are you ready, Stephen? Let's do it. Um, assuming that he starts this week against UCLA, Noah Fafita will become the first quarterback since 2012 to make his first five career starts against teams ranked in the top 25. UCLA is at number 20. Um, that is that a fun fact or not? I think it's fun. I think that's a fun fact. Like, uh, you know, the fact that Arizona has actually been pretty successful against these teams too, I think that adds to the funness. So, yeah, I'm going to go fun on that. Five straight starts against Pac-12 ranked teams deep, in his first five starts. Maybe I'm just uh, simple, but I had a really hard time following that fact, yeah. so it was not fun for me. wasn't fun for I Anna. I really had to concentrate on that. I'm going to overrule you, Anna. I'm going to say it's fun, and therefore it is fun, because <laughs> two voters are better than one. <laughs> Noah Fafita becoming the first college quarterback since 2012 to make his first five starts against ranked opponents. Do you know who the last was? Bonus points. If you know who the last was, came from the Pac-12 as well at Stanford in 2012. Do you know anybody? Bueller? Kevin Hogan. Mm. The great Kevin ah, Hogan. Ah, Kevin Hogan. Hogan's heroes. All right. Hulk Hogan's son. Uh, Arizona State, fun fact or not? Arizona State is looking to win consecutive conference games for the first time since 2021. <laughs> Nah. Uh, no. Nope. No. Terrible fact, That's, Greg. Yeah. Lazy. Whiffed on that. One of the Greg. worst, actually. That Come on. Greg. How hard do you have to dig <laughs> to get a team that hasn't won much and go, well, they haven't won back-to-back games since 21. It's not Maybe even a long time either. That's the thing. <laughs> Two years ago. Maybe that's the best he could come up with this for just means, State this year. It really just means they didn't win a back-to-back game last year. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he should have said. Arizona State was bad last year. Fun fact or not? That we would yeah. have said was fun. All right, Cal. Let's move on. Cal scored 49 points against USC last week. That 49 points was the most points that Cal has ever scored in history in a game that they lost. Oh, fun. Agree. Yeah. All kinds of fun. I think it's fun. Oh, that's really fun, yeah. I mean, Cal's yeah. offense is actually pretty good. Scored 49 and lost. The most points they have ever scored in a yeah. game and then lost. Yeah. Wow. Well, the, No, the most points they've ever scored in a loss. In a loss. That must, not the most points they've ever scored ever. Oh, in a loss. That's 49 is the most in a losing effort. Right, right, right. Okay. okay. Isn't that I what follow. she said? Yeah. But yeah expl- <laughs> welcome to my world, Stephen. Uh, Colorado. <laughs> Colorado. <laughs> the emphasis was wrong, the wrong syllable. Uh <laughs> <laughs> She's easy on the eyes, though. Um, <laughs> let me just say, Colorado, five of eight games this season have been one-score games. Fun fact or not? Nah? 
Say it again. Colorado's played eight games. <laughs> yes. Five of them have been one-score games. Fun fact or not? Nah? Oh. No. I, no. I'd say no. I no. think it's kind of fun in the same way that Cal's fact was fun. No, but... it's it's kind of lazy. <laughs> yeah, it's lazy like the Arizona Pretty State right. fact, right? Greg had a busy week, maybe. Uh, Oregon. Just too obvious. He just threw it together at the end there. Yeah. Had to beat the deadline. Oregon had nine sacks allowed in the last two seasons. Bo Nix has only been sacked nine times in two seasons. It is the fewest number of sacks allowed by any team in college football. (gasps) Really? That's really fun. I like that. In two seasons. That is, yeah. yeah I'm going to go with fun on that one, too. That is uh, that is a fun and interesting fact right there. Oregon should be touting that. I'm yeah, gonna... they, they actually should be. Like, why aren't they tweeting that? Like, yeah. offensive okay, line university. Okay, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. All right? We're going to do a little experiment. I'm okay. going to tweet that fact right now. Okay. And I, I can tell you what's going to happen. This is why you just don't, you know, oh. you don't do it. Wow. Um, I'm going to tweet the exact wording. Um. You know, and somebody's going to reply, mm-hmm. technically, there weren't nine sacks. Nick's was stopped for no gain. They're going to they're gonna oh. start to nitpick at it. Really? Right. Okay. Okay. What? Should we wait? No, no. Uh, Should we talk amongst ourselves while you I, I still think it's tweet? fun, though. I mean, yeah. that's a fun Just, fact. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tweet it, um, and I'm going to... And, uh, you know, I think it's what a, happens. I think it's a them problem. That's not an us problem. Yeah, That's it a is. them problem. But watch. Yeah, there you go. No, but like Oregon should be generating a whole video around that fact. That's that's right. really rather impressive. We'll see what happens with that tweet. By yeah, the like, end of this. you know, we got a brick wall surrounding our, you know, yes, yeah. guard the king. Somebody will nitpick it. They could have a lot of fun with that. Oregon I'm State. I'm going to check your tweet for some typos. Oregon State. Okay. The Beavers are 13-2 and two since the start of last season. Versus teams not ranked in the AP poll. Um, I don't think it's fun. I don't think no. that's fun at all. I agree. It's more of a downer <laughs> that they can't beat I good was. teams. Well, they're thirteen and two, yeah. but yeah, they lost to two teams that weren't ranked. Yeah, but what's okay. the record against ranked teams then? Yeah, I wanted it to be fun. Me too. Let's move. Let's it move on to Stanford. Wasn't. Poor B. Stanford, for the first time in program history. Ooh, that got my attention. Okay. Stanford has allowed 40 or more points in four straight games. They've never done that in their history. Oh. Yeah. I think it's fun, yeah, but it's except for fun. it's not fun for Stanford fans. Yeah, right. Why is that fun, though? Just They're bad. They're yeah, bad. but it's, but like, in program history, yeah. they've never allowed 40-plus points in four straight games. That It just yeah. tells you that their defense is generationally bad. I don't know. I still don't find it that mm. fun. Yeah. I, I already knew that. My definition of fun includes the adjective notable, Stephen. So for me, it's fun. Okay, I get it. You guys are right. just negative fun people. Let's go to UCLA. Fun. Let's go to UCLA. <laughs> against against Colorado on Saturday, the Bruins turned the ball over four times. It was the first time that the Bruins have won a game while committing four turnovers since 2012. <laughs> what's the What's the fact guy's name? Gino? What is it? Greg. Greg? Uh, Greg's on a roll. Like, Greg found something while he was developing these facts and just went with it. Like, this is all in the same genre right now. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't think it's enough. It's not notable enough. Yeah, it's it's just too arbitrary. Like, just chose four for no reason. Yeah. Since, here's USC. 
Since September 30th, the Trojans have allowed 42.6 points per game. Whoa. It's third most in all of college football. This season? Since September 20th. Uh, kind of a, yeah, I'd say fun. I go fun on that. Greg shouldn't be paid this week. Um, how about <laughs> you? Don't like that about, one? That's a fun one. You, you, talk, you, oh, just, you didn't know their defense was bad. You, you just, just criticized said, Stanford. Yeah, you just said Stanford's fact was fun for being so bad. Now we just say USC's historically bad defense is not fun. I just have their defense is terrible. Yeah, so is Stanford's. <sighs> so we both Wait, went opposite. I, we, I we both contradict ourselves. Did you think that was a fun fact? He switched. I, I switched. We both. We both switched. switched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm ambivalent on that. Well, you're the tie. You're the tiebreaker, right, right, Anna. Right. USC defense is bad. Fun or not? If I'm ambivalent, then it just has to be not fun. All right, thank All right. you. Utah, okay. Utah, Utah's has been ranked in 42 college football playoff polls. That's the most of any Pac-12 program. So Utah has appeared in the college football playoff rankings more than any other program. Oh. In the conference. I'm going fun. Yeah. yeah. Good for Utah. Again, Utah should be somehow touting that. All right. There's two replies already to the nine sacks by the Oregon Ducks. Because I would right not now. have guessed Utah would be that team. I know. Yeah. Same. Yeah. But that's oh, what yeah, here you go. So because 90% of their passes travel about five yards. <laughs> that's one of the responses? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Uh, because 90% of their passes travel about five yards. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. I guess it's a nah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Can't always listen to Twitter. Washington, 8 0 for the sixth time in school history. What? It, what? 8 and 0 oh. for the sixth time. <laughs> in, what do you think? They ate what? They ate a donut. No. Seven, eight, nine. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? <laughs> yes. I'm starving. <laughs> they ate what? <laughs> what Fun eat? fact. Washington is 8 and 0 oh for the fact. first time. I need a granola bar. <laughs> Sixth time in school history. Oh. I think All it's right. fun that Anna's so hungry, so yeah, fun fact. <laughs> Washington State. Get this. Yeah. Last two seasons, Washington State went. One and seven in the month of October. Yeah, fun. Fun fact yeah. for them, man. They uh, really fun. Negative fun, Steven. Ne- negative fun. See? Yeah. How about them apples? See how fun negative could be? It is. There you go. You, get, you guys have worn, you know, worn me 90, down. 90, 90 Brainwashing you. Yeah. There you go. All right, that's fun fact or nah. All right, coming up, Anna's going to do the five at five. We're going to try to get her some sustenance during the uh, break. Please. Get her, get her granola bar. I need some cal- Halloween candy. <laughs> get her something over here. I need 100 grand. Uh, <laughs> leave it here. You got the BFT. Gee, Anna's hungry. Look out. Um, fun fact or nah, <laughs> Greg, I, if you're listening to this, do better. Anna's here for the five at five. She uh, she got one of those power packs that the marathon runners get while they're on the race. <laughs> I have to apologize because I realize I think I just lost my brain. I, you know, like good radio doesn't involve 
one person just giggling nonstop for seven minutes. I don't know. Good radio or not, Stephen, with Anna's losing it. <laughs> fun radio or not? Uh, I'd go nah. fun. I'd go fun radio. That was fun. I, 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 could, nah. I think if all three of us were doing that, it'd yeah. be bad. No, it's enough for one person. No. So I'm sorry, guys. It's uh, No, I think it's... I'll let the listeners. I'll defer to listeners. You tell us. Anna's laughing in the background, losing it. She's really... She was almost... She was crying. I was crying. She was, was crying. crying. Well, of course, someone's going to nitpick it. Good radio or nah? (laughs) 503-417-7575. In the meantime, we're going to do the 5 at 5. Let's go. The 5 at 5. Number 1. The Texas Rangers were denied a World Series pool party at Chase Field as the Diamondbacks decided to beef up security. So... I went with this because by now you probably know that the Texas Rangers won the World Series. But I did find it interesting that uh, the Diamondbacks president had said any team would be allowed to celebrate a clincher in the pool earlier this postseason. That Mm. they'd have the right to celebrate wherever they wanted. Change your mind. But apparently that didn't apply to the Rangers. Change their mind. Uh, Rangers win in Game 5. They win a World Series. They now leave the list of baseball franchises that have never won at all. Mariners, Brewers, Padres, Rockies, Rays. Who is most likely to win a World Series championship in that group? Got to be the Rays, right? I was going to say the Rays. Mm -hmm. Or the, the Padres, because they spend a lot of money, but I think the Rays. I think the one that's weirdest to me is the Brewers. You know, they've been around longer than some of those other teams and just have not had a breakthrough. Came close in the uh, early 80s. I think it was 82, 83, 84, right in there. They had Robin Yount and Paul Molitor. They had some good teams but did not break through. Mm, Moving on to the second one. Number two. <laughs> you were gonna I was going to say number, number two. two. <laughs> I was. <laughs> but it would repeat. Uh, the Boston Celtics delivered the first blowout of the NBA season as they dropped 155 points in a victory over the Indiana Pacers. All five Celtics starters scored in double figures. Jason Tatum led the way with 30 points in just 27 minutes. On the floor. Are the Celtics that good or the Pacers that bad? This wasn't like the Pistons and Nuggets in December of 1983. That game was 186-184 in three overtimes. This is just one team blowing the other team out of the building. Steven, that that much better or what's going on? Uh, the Pacers are missing Tyrese Halliburton, who's their best player. He wasn't playing, so I think that had a lot to do with it. Uh, but I think the Celtics... Maybe the best team in the NBA. So I think it's a little bit of the Celtics being awesome. How many did they get? They got 155? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that, no overtimes involved. Right. No. The, the highest number of points in a regular season game came from the Phoenix uh, Suns, who had 173. Fun fact 19, or not? 1990. <laughs> Moving on. Number three. So... James Harden, in his introductory press conference with the Clippers, who he was traded to this week, told reporters that he felt like he was on a leash while he was with the 76ers as he had to adjust his style of play. 
He says, when I meant a leash, I don't just mean shooting the basketball every time. I mean, I think the game, and I'm a creator on the court. If I've got a voice to where I can say, hey, coach, I see this. What do you think? And it's okay. Then someone trusts me and believes me and understands with me. So he says uh, he's not a system player. He is a system. Mm. Trademark that. I am not a system player. I am a system. He is the system. He's <laughs> also about six months away from asking for a trade. I just like you like you can do that once and people will go, ah, eh, maybe it's just a bad fit. But you can't do it twice. You can't do it three times. Harden's just done this too much. I, nobody believes him. Nobody believes that he's not the problem here. So good luck. Good player, big headache. What are we on? Uh, four. We're on number four. See, it's not yeah. helping, John. It is helping. Number four. I think a dry erase board would help more. <laughs> Robert Griffin the third says NFL players believe that referees' rooting interests are causing this season's bad calls. Mm. He's saying that um, there's local bias, that players believe this, and it's influencing how officials call the game, that these guys are from places and have favorite teams, and, you know, that, I don't know, that he, he seems to think that the referee's favorite teams or who he rooted for when he was a kid is affecting how the refereeing is going this season. I don't I don't agree with that. I think I need a larger sample size and I think I think sometimes the officials are affected by home crowds. I think you see that and and how can you not? Ask yourself the next time you're in a really loud stadium if you were the one making a decision if you might be influenced in some way by the crowd cheering or the crowd reaction to a play. I think that's natural, that's human nature. I think that's part of the home field advantage. But I, I just don't think most officials, professional officials, are in this to try to screw a team or get an outcome. And, you know, I think they're just trying to get it right. And I think too often people go to that conspiracy theory position. I think it's kind of lame to do that. I guess it's a good thing to talk about if you've got a TV show and some time to fill. But give me a bigger sample size and more obvious and egregious mistakes. Uh, you know, I've seen officials miss calls. You've seen it as well. I think most of the time they're just missing it. Number five. Okay, one of the best nights of Corey Seager's Major League Baseball career. Back to the World Series momentarily. He won the second championship of his career and, uh, you know, became a uh, multi-time World Series MVP winner. But after the game... A reporter wanted to talk about his past and his old team, the Dodgers. The reporter said, I'm going to ask you a question that I get texted the most, especially during this series. Why did the Dodgers let you go? What's interesting to me about this is that Seeger says nothing. nothing. He just shook his head and looked at a public relations staff member as if to ask them to move things along. The and reporter they, yeah. came back and said, you don't have an answer, and Seeger just shrugged. He doesn't. It's not his place. It's it's not the place either. He just, place? he just won the MVP award. The Willie Mays Most Valuable Player Trophy presented by Chevrolet. Is there any doubt? Corey Seeger. That's all yours. 
How about this? You're the fourth player ever to win two World Series MVPs, Corey. How did you do it? Um, you know, just behind this team, you know, it's a resilient group like they were saying, you know, we're just just happy to be a part of this team and how we grinded and played through it. You know, it's just it's awesome right now. When you came here, you came here for this person. But take take me through the vision that you talked about when you came here and what you hope to do and to bring this trophy here. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of credit to them. A lot of credit to CY, a lot of credit to our ownership, you know, on having a, a view and bringing in people. And it's just it's truly incredible, you know, to have this group behind us and to be not, or to be world champs now, man. It's it's crazy. Be world champs now and then Rangers for their first world title. Sager, the MVP. Blazers have issued a statement. This is breaking news. Sean Hyken had it first. Uh, statement from the Blazers on the WNBA pulling out of talks for an expansion team. Um, we are disappointed that the conversations between the WNBA and a potential ownership group to bring a team to Portland have broken down. Portland is an incredible city and a perfect market for women's sports, and we were ready and excited to welcome a WNBA team to our community. Our goal remains the same, blah, 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 blah. Um, so here's the uh, here's the rub. They 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 were in the way of this. The renovations to the Moda Center were scheduled where the team was supposed to be playing. That's part of the problem. Disappointed. We're so the statement should be: We're so disappointed. We have decided to alter the construction schedule so that a WNBA team can be here. We urge the WNBA and a potential ownership group to reconvene and rediscuss the matter. That's not what they said, though. By the way, you can use our practice facility. They, yeah, they they just are saying, "Hey, man, not our fault. We're excited about sports, but we're going to be renovating the building. We love sports. We love women's sports. Yeah, we're all about women's sports. Please buy tickets. That's what they're saying. All right, we're back tomorrow with another great show. The Bald Face Truth. Not here for a long time. Just a good time. Have yourself a great evening. We have Thursday night football coming up right here. On 750 The Game. We got a great Friday show for you, and we're going to go through our picks on Friday's show. We got Yogi Roth coming on the program. All of that tomorrow.